Look out. Surging up from the depths of the sea. Horrifying, mysterious creatures whose attack on people sends the whole countryside on an endless search. Unless something is done, and done quickly. Is this the end of our civilization? You'll pioneer with us the perilous descent into the unknown. What does that mean? What are you even talking about? A deep, penetrating dive. In the last calm and reflective moment, before the monsters came, Humanoids from the Deep Dive. Welcome to the podcast Humanoids from the Deep Dive, where we dig deep into the meanings and context of your favorite monsters and monster movies. Each episode we'll see guests and, and myself give our take on an important movie monster and or film, and what we think it means using everything from history and philosophy to films and folklore. This episode is is kind of our celebration of summer monsters. Uh, there have been so many fantastic, iconic monster movies that have have come out during the summer months. You know, you have your aliens, you obviously have John Carpenter's The Thing, which is a personal favorite of all of us. But this episode is on the perhaps most iconic summer monster movie of all time, Steven Spielberg's Jaws. Fans of the show can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbean, wherever you can find a podcast, you can find us, and follow us on Twitter at HFT Deep Time. I'm your host, Jeff Ewing. I'm an entertainment contributor for Forbes and a writer for Looper, and... uh, bottom line of it is i'm obsessed about monsters and uh have written about them all over the place and started a show about them i'm very pleased to to introduce our excellent co-host for today's episode uh, andre couture is the co-host on the show but he's also our editor thank you so much for being here andre yeah absolutely it's great to be here and mike vaughn is the founder of the videoaddict.com which is honestly one of my go-to places for excellent home release reviews in addition to being a fantastic freaking co-host uh thank you so much for for being here today mike yeah thanks for having me today's episode's gonna be fun um because who doesn't like jaws <laughs> very few untrustworthy people <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I mean maybe people that are <laughs> folks at home one thing you missed is we just spent about 20 minutes straight like children doing the jaws music <laughs> before recording because it is very iconic it just sneaks up on you it's like (laughs) okay i'm sorry i feel like jaws doesn't even need summarizing because everybody knows it so fun sun day uh in the beach town of uh beach area of amity island uh when you know everybody's enjoying their summer you know time and the the waves and whatever and then the the film literally starts with a young woman finding herself victim to a shark attack. Unfortunately, local sheriff uh, Brody basically he he starts to become increasingly concerned about uh, the shark attack. They have to take it seriously. But the the basically the entire movie is a sort of tit for tat of the town's mayor not wanting to face the shark attack because the the Fourth of July celebrations are coming up and he's he's a jerk basically um until the end and the sh- the sheriff who actually wants the town to acknowledge the existence of a shark and so they they have to eventually pull a team together to kill this like human eating aquatic beast that has been terrorizing the island that's the initial premise it's it's you know full of fun and sun and death and carnage and it, it's widely considered to be effectively like the first quote-unquote blockbuster 
or the summer blockbuster because it was it made so much money and was so culturally popular and iconic that it it pretty much paved the way for Spielberg to do whatever he wanted his entire the entire rest of his career and cemented our fear of the ocean it's interesting too because it's technically speaking in the way people normally use the term monster it's a shark it's an animal it's not like something like a xenomorph it's not a a monster to some people but but jaws is clearly a monster movie right yeah oh yeah yeah like it's so I, i i feel like it it counts to anybody that isn't trying to be difficult for its own sake it's a fantastic film I love it. Do you do you all have anything to add before we get to our reviews? Well, and I would even say like Spielberg would probably be the first one to admit that it's a monster movie. I mean, you know, he kind of grew up in the era of like famous monsters of film land. And, and I mean, Jurassic Park. I mean, take a look at that. I mean, that is as you know, I mean, it's basically like his King Kong. Oh, totally. Absolutely. That, that's why because some people I, I've heard a, a small number of folks say uh, attempt to classify like Jaws and Jurassic Park as something other than horror films, but they're horror films. Uh, they're they're not yeah. structured exactly. Well, Jaws is more structured like a traditional horror film. Um, Jurassic Park kind of varies because he's trying to reach a wide audience, but damn it, they're both monster movies. They're both classic horror films. Yeah, I, I would even argue that, uh, especially early on in Spielberg's career, he started making a pattern of presenting something that was already like existent in the world sharks and well not um dinosaurs but you know uh taking those and like giving them monstrous properties and a community reaction that is akin to like the universal monster movies like the response to frankenstein's monster and i would even say that uh, his film Duel does the same thing with a, with like a truck. Yeah, and like totally, I I, to- I completely see that as a monster movie. Even though like the truck has to be driven yeah. by someone, it completely fits mm-hmm. the bill as a, a monster structure. It's definitely the structure of a monster movie. Just- so there's so much that we can dig into about Jaws, but as always, uh, I wanted to start with reviews. Would either one of you like to go first? Yeah, totally. Um, for me, this is definitely a four-star movie. Uh, mm-hmm. There's, it is kind of rough around the edges. Uh, it's early on in Spielberg's career, and but like it has some calling cards that will later become just like Spielberg's thing. Um, but he's still kind of figuring it out at this point. As much as I love Jaws, it does kind of drag on in bits, but. I mean, based on the the history of, like, the tormented production and everything, uh, it's kind of a miracle that this movie even has a, um, a unified feel to it. So, that being said, it's definitely a four... I would give it a four star out of five rating, um, mm. just because, like, the beginning is so captivating, uh, and then mm-hmm. where it leads into uh, the investigation of why this like town government is like trying to sweep so many things that are like literally out in broad daylight under the rug the events of the finale really just bring everything into total perspective 
and makes it that much more exciting. Uh, but yet, it does have some bits in the middle where I think it makes its point a little bit too much. I mean, yeah. it's still, it's an early work that is mostly to be expected in a lot of, especially 70s film. Yeah. It's just something that happens. Yeah, like for, like for the mid-70s, that was definitely... Um... I mean, it was one of the early films of like the kind of new Hollywood era in the sense of, you know, like if you're, if you're kind of like late 60s on up and there there was a lot of concern with like social issues and stuff, but it, it was often handled in a very like what we would consider now like a very blunt way. Yeah. And like for comparison, uh, even though it's not really that similar, really, uh, the first Star Wars has like a saggy middle. That's just Jabba. <laughs> that movie is, I I feel a lot tighter. So like, even though that's a tighter film, it does sag in the middle because there's a lot of moving parts. Same same with Jaws in more ways than one. A lot of moving parts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you for that. I'll kind of talk about where what I feel about some of the points you made in my own review. But um, uh, Mike, how about you? Yeah, I mean it's it's a great movie. Obviously, it's kind of a classic for a reason. Um, you know, I think, Audra, you made a lot of really good points about um, some of the pacing being a little shaggy. Um, but I think it's one of those movies that, like, once it really starts getting going, it's like mm-hmm. the it's almost breakneck, like, of just how brilliantly things are, like, constantly being set up and paid off. And, uh, yeah, it's like there's mm-hmm. still moments that, make me jump even though i've seen it like a thousand times like the head popping out yeah that gets me every time um still yeah yeah. (laughs) that that gets me too yeah like it's i think that like even like early in spielberg's career he like understood that it was more about um the characters than the monster Mm -hmm. or the shark and i think like there's like just some brilliant bits like quint with um talking about oh gosh what was the um the ship that was torpedoed the indianapolis yes 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 thank you um yeah and i mean it's just that whole sequence is just paced so incredibly well you know when he mentions uh what the tattoo means and like you see like his laughter just stops and it gives you chills because you know mm-hmm. like shit just got real. And but almost comes out of nowhere because you know preceding that scene, it's just it's super lighthearted banter, and then you know it's almost like a tonal whiplash, but like in a really like not in a, a a bad way per se. So it's just like I mean it's like little like I guess my point though is like it's just little human moments that. I don't think necessarily a lesser filmmaker probably wouldn't have, you know, added those kind of moments that make it really fleshed out. Yeah, absolutely. As cliche as it's going to sound, I probably would give it a five out of five. Like I know like it's kind of rough around the edges, but I think it's so brilliant in just how it's like written paced. I mean, the acting it's, and just to think about like how, um, miserable the production was, it's kind of a small miracle. Mm -hmm that it was even like finished let alone like that good so it feels like you know all the kind of film gods were um conspiring against it but it just kind of uh seceded anyway so yeah i i I get that it was probably poseidon (laughs) yeah exactly he was he was mad he's like but uh, Uh, the sharks the bad guys i love sharks fuck you guys 
And in the new 4K scan, you can kind of see him, like, on the horizon, just, like, shaking his fist <laughs> during the final shot. Poseidon looked <laughs> at me. But little did he know that Spielberg was already on his flight back to L.A., because he doesn't do the final shots of his films. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just, like, uh, in all those scenes, like, in Desperado, where they, like, something blows up as the heroes, like, coolly walk away. That's how he ends every yeah. movie. He sets up the final <laughs> shot. He doesn't even watch it. He's just like, cool. He even knows exactly when the explosion is happening when he's on the plane, and then he just puts his sunglasses on very slowly. <laughs> I exactly. I will say that as great as Jaws is, I think it's really missing something at the end. I think it should have had a, a rap song, a theme rap theme song. <laughs> oh, do you have any suggestions for what they could have used? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm jumping at the bit here. Something about, like, uh, you know... <laughs> Your hat being like a shark fin would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, which is interesting that you brought that up because that happens in the movie. Yeah. I mean, it's like. Oh, it's, it's a helmet, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, I feel like you need, like, a. I mean, not to, to criticize your idea, Mike, but I feel like <laughs> you also need, like, a color reference in there a lot. Like, uh, <laughs> like forest green or. Some type of maybe a deep blue, deepest bluest maybe. It's it's deepest, deepest bluest, or like a sea green. Yeah, exactly. Are those even technically <laughs> words? Deepest bluest. I mean, that doesn't really mean anything. Separately, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Individually, sure. I mean, deepest, yes. <laughs> bluest is like how when would you ever use that in a sentence? This is the bluest. If you're making a rap song for a Hollywood production. <laughs> Here's what you missed last time on Humanoids from the Deep Dive. <laughs> when we're we're probably going to edit that part out, but we, we were talking about the, the LL Cool J song from Deep Blue Sea, the uh, that shark film, um, and how the entire song is built around um, the fra- the the sentence, "My hat is like a shark's fin." Yeah, actually, the first word of the song is "uh." <laughs> Like U H, uh, my head is like a shark's. Head. I feel like they're just like, like okay, uh, do you want to do a rap song for this Hollywood production? And he's like, no. And they're like, but here's a big check. And he's like, cool, I'll do it. Uh... And then he doesn't think about it at all. And they're like, okay, you have to record like literally now. And he's like, um, okay, uh, and he just made up on the spot. Here's how I picture this went down. They're like, do this stup- stupid song, and he's like, no. And then they hand him, like, a cartoon sack full of money, like the dollar sign. <laughs> and his eyes, like, do that thing where they go out four feet and then back in his head. And he's like, sure, I'll say whatever dumb thing you want me to say. Oh, oh, I would sell out in a heartbeat. Uh, by the way, LL Cool J, fun fact for the folks at home, uh, actually stands for Ladies Love Cool Jaws. And it was uh, Bruce the Shark in Jaws. <laughs> had a you don't know this because i mean they didn't kill a shark in real life it was very you know movie magic-y but um bruce the shark went on to have a stunningly popular rap career in the 90s and (laughs) 2000s you didn't know that but now you do um thank you thank you for your review and for and that's the episode (laughs) i I was gonna make the joke that um there should be a rival rapper called ll cruel j where uh, <gasps> it's the ladies love cruel jaws, which is the one of my favorite jaws <gasps> <Yes>. ripoffs, <laughs> which features and... uh, like 
just a little bit less than 30 seconds of the Star Wars theme. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't like that the, the one that also, like, like kind of markets itself as Jaws 5? Yeah, no, like, in Italy, I think they said it was, like, the fifth. It was the new Jaws movie, because <laughs> it has a Jaws in the title. So <laughs> Yeah, and there, are, and there are Jaws in it. Yeah, Didn't they literally, like, take footage from, like, was it Jaws and Jaws 2 yeah. also? Yeah, they... they they stole all that. What the audience of this show doesn't realize is that um, every episode, I actually take other people's podcast episodes and Frankenstein them into an episode. It's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's definitely, it takes about 30 hours to get a 30-minute show good, but um, instead of just recording for 30 minutes... But you know what? It's, it's for all you folks at home that I... <laughs> my review... Uh, I kind of similarly, uh, uh, I definitely think, Andre, that you're right. Uh, both of you are right to recognize that. I mean, it had a, it had a famously troubled production. The reason you see the shark so little is because they couldn't get it to work exactly right. Um, there were There's this Richard Dreyfus quote on the production that uh, we started the film without a script, without a cast, or without a shark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, you know, they... they there's a bunch of stuff that was kind of fudged a little bit. It definitely has some of the excesses, like you mentioned, Andre, of, of mid-70s filmmaking. Uh, but at the same time, it is so influential and has some really effective emotional scenes and some really effective scares. And they overcame a lot to make a film that... I mean, is it my favorite summer monster movie personally? No, but is it pretty absolutely great? Definitely. I love the cinematography of it. The it definitely shows um as y'all mentioned some of that that early Spielberg um technique and and you know focusing on the characters and even like the camera work focusing on the reactions to the horror instead of just the horror um that became so iconic in his, his subsequent work that I, I, I'd say I'd give it a um, objectively I'd give it like a four and a half for me, but then just the the influence and what they overcame kind of bumps it up to five. Man, making me look stingy over here with my four stars. <laughs> no, uh, folks, um, what what you don't know this is actually um, Andre is um, he's the one that keeps us legit. He he's like them. no no no. I'm the average color. I, I bring all those. I put all those these star ratings into perspective. Yeah, exactly. We're like, <laughs> we're like Mike and I can be like that is a six star movie, and we are literally, literally in love with it. Yeah. It's causing problems at home. I'm like I love it. And, Two and a half stars. Andre's exactly. like, fuck you. I'm gonna watch Spookies again. That being said, like I love a lot of movies that I would give two and a half stars, maybe even two, maybe even one. You know? Yeah. See, I I I feel yep. that because I like I know like there's. Like, I know that there's, like, objectively bad movies, but I still, there's, like, for whatever reason, like, they're still, like, just entertaining as hell. Like, yeah. And that's, you the, know, oh, absolutely. that's the real marker for me is, like, just it's, like, entertainment value, like, for me. And, like, obviously it's a, it's a subjective thing, and we kind of talked about that uh, on another episode before. I don't know when that will be released, if it's going to be before this one or after this one. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, an example for me personally would be, um, 
like the first Alien versus Predator film, uh, which is like the actually both of them, both Alien versus Predator sequels. Do I think that they are good? No. Do I think literally any part of them is good other than the production design and costume work and stuff like that? No. None of those. Neither of those films are good. However, will I watch the ever-loving hell out of them to watch like a Predalien fight some predators? Yeah. Yes. Do I love the concept that like humanity, like human history, is like basically we used to worship aliens as gods and then we're like monster fuel? <laughs> it's interesting. I I love those films. I do not think they're good. <laughs> but yeah, I I feel like Jaws though is is definitely not one of those films. Like it has some some minor you know issues that you can definitely like pinpoint and some plotting problems, but. It really is a, a, a masterful film, especially with with what they were able to do. And you know what's interesting? And I know, Andre, you, you mentioned uh, Duel a little bit, and I, I, I love that movie. Okay, so I, I, th- I kind of feel like that's kind of like a, a perfect like precursor to Jaws, almost. Like, I mean, it's not, obviously, like, it's not like a perfect uh, one-to-one, but I mean, just like, you know, they substitute, like a uh, vast ocean for like a vast highway for example Mm -hmm. like it's it's almost like it's so frightening because there's really nowhere to go Um, yeah where it's like you're out in the open but also you're so isolated that it's it it is very claustrophobic somehow yeah like it it takes like i think andre you said this it, it almost takes like the familiar and makes it like terrifying like it takes something that seems kind of mundane like a road trip or you know i guess hunting for a shark's not routine but just you know like if you're just you know taking like the boat out or something it's it's you know it's the fantastical happening and the kind of like the mundane which i think is is something that that spielberg is um really good at absolutely um I think that's completely spot on. Um, I, I will say that for Duel, my favorite uh, line is also a Jaws parallel. It's like where the um, the family turns to the camera. And I, I feel like that was overkill. Maybe they should have and said, we're going to need a bigger car. <laughs> and I'm like, we're going to need really? a bigger shark fin. <laughs> no, but I but I love Duel, though, because it does kind of it's it's. It is kind of something uh, funny. And I, I think, Andre, you might have been talking about this when you mentioned that it, it kind of duels interesting because it is kind of like a monster movie. Um, yeah. They definitely treat the the semi-truck driver like, well, you never really see it, but they, they treat it kind of like a malicious beast. And it has the structure of a monster movie, which I think is so cool. Yeah. And, like, the, there's a weird subset of some movies that actually use um, vehicles as well as specifically semi-trucks as monsters. Like, you know, you can go into uh, Duel, of course, and then there's mm-hmm. uh, Maximum Overdrive and Trucks. Mm-hmm. And I would even argue Pet Cemetery, like that one segment. Uh, yeah? It's it's a total monster movie moment. Uh yeah, and then you have some that take it more literally, like Christine. Yeah, and then the car, obviously. <laughs> and the car, too. The best of them. But going back to, like, Andre's point, though, it's, like, with, like, like Duel. I mean, even, like, the truck is just, you know, like, the massive, like, grill that they kind of, like, almost 
fetishize showing mm -hmm. you. I mean, mm -hmm. it's. I mean, taking that that and making it mm -hmm. into a like kind of like monstrous, I think, is what's partly kind of brilliant about that movie. Uh, oh, absolutely. Because um, it, it it seems like because you never really focus on the driver or whatever, like it feels like yeah, a willful creature in how it's it, it's like the truck is the instrument of death so like it's just waiting to pounce and the narrative is focusing on that instrument which in turn i think makes it a monstrous character um you know what i think is interesting yeah. upon yeah. revisiting it um and charles that is is like you know i know when we we talk about spielberg we talk about like oh you know i think like inherently like the, the first thing we think about is like uh, kids and you know like this wide eyed Spielbergian childhood adventure thing but like really early sure. in his career like he didn't really um, that wasn't really his thing like you know there's like there's children in his early movies but they're really just yeah. peripheral kind of like they're just kind of on like the sidelines really but like I think it's kind of interesting how like Oh, what's the son's name in Jaws? I'm like blanking for some reason. Um, Michael Brody. But I mean, it, it's like um, they really don't narratively like serve anything. I mean, I guess you could say like that maybe um, it kind of ups the emotional stakes a little bit. But I mean, I think if you like cut those characters out, it really would not affect the plot. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like in Jaws, like the the the. It's just a plot device to be like on the beach at a time where you need the plot to escalate, you know, um, is not really like a character in his own right. Yeah. Versus like uh, Spielberg using his and becoming like so right or wrong synonymous with it uh, really comes out of E.T., yeah. I think. Yeah. Like he definitely uh, focuses more on his um, his kid characters later on in his career. Yeah. With, with like E.T., yeah. Uh, even, like, to a greater extent in uh, Close Encounters, I would say. Yeah, so that really comes out of the 80s, and at this point, it was, um, you know, the, that wasn't really part of his repertoire yet. If you were to watch it and, like, not... And, like, already know that um, these aliens were peaceful, I would double that with signs so you get that, like, sinister edge oh. to it. Uh, yeah, then, like, okay. That's... It, I mean, obviously, M. Night was influenced by Spielberg, along with, like, many other filmmakers. Sure. Um, and I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that if you want to do a double with Jaws and not pair it with a Jaws sequel or a Jaws ripoff, I'm going to say pair it with old. <laughs> okay, don't don't say why, because I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> <laughs> it has nothing to do with Jaws, but it's just the only connective tissue there is a beach. Oh, see, <laughs> I perfect. thought I thought the twist was that the old the old people turned into sharks. You know that would have been awesome. <laughs> I would have, I, I would still be watching that movie literally right now. <laughs> um, but in a true M Night Shyamalan plot twist, we have turned the a Jaws Spielberg episode <laughs> into an M Night Shyamalan episode. Uh, what's everybody's favorite like Jaws like knockoff? I'm gonna go with Alligator by Louis Teague. That oh, one's probably been my favorite. Uh, I like Piranha. I also like to think of the Meg as a Jaws sequel mm -hmm. <laughs> because it kind of, 
Uh, I mean, it's very much not. It's not even a shark. But I like the Hollywood notion of like always upgrading something. So like, oh, just a bigger shark. <laughs> to me, it feels like it should be a Jaws sequel. Yeah, like the the sharks just get more ancient as you go on in the yes. franchise, and then just older, get bigger and bigger. older and bigger. Yeah, we're gonna need a bigger shark. I, yep. I kind of think like <laughs> Grizzly is my favorite Jaws knockoff. Uh, I just wanted to kind of like pivot and ask if if there were any um, if y'all had any thematic elements or or kind of like deeper things about Jaws that that really kind of take you that you really dig. Uh, yeah, I, I had something that uh, I wanted to bring up. Um, so, other than the uh, just the general terror surrounding like just shark attacks happening. Uh, there's something that happens in the movie that uh, I think points to the inspired inception of like at, at first for Peter Benchley to write the novel, um, which is where Brody asks Hooper about the fact that certain amount of uh, shark attacks happen and are like unrecorded. So like there is so many shark attacks that happen in a given year statistically, but the ones that get recorded are only just a a small fraction of the ones that actually happen. Sure. And then all of those happen pretty much within a hundred feet of the shore, like of the beach. And one certain incident that really inspired the, uh, just the idea of turning Jaws into uh, a narrative was uh, back in 1916 uh, in New Jersey, there was a guy named uh, Charles Van Zant. Uh, he went out to the beach uh, for the first time in the summer, and he waded out and swam out about a hundred yards uh, from the shore. This is further out than many of the other people that were at the beach. And then, when he was leisurely making his way back to the shore, he noticed that people were yelling and shouting. And he looked behind him as he was swimming, and there was like this dark shadow following him, and it was gaining speed. And he ended up being like pulled backwards and trying to fight his way back to the shore. The shark that was latched onto him kept swimming with him and trying to like pull him apart as he was mm -hmm. trying to get back on the shore. And yeah. by the time he gets to the sand, the shark is still there like on him. Just the image of that is most likely what uh, inspired Benchley and Spielberg to try to translate this terror into uh, something like visual, something uh, tangible, something tactile uh, because mm -hmm. there are so many people who will go to the beach and say uh, look how far I can swim out like let me, I just want to go see how far I can go out and I'll just come right back but mm -hmm. then this one guy who did this ended up losing his life because of it and just the the accounts of the people who were at the beach describing it was just completely horrifying and just the just the description of how he was mauled by the by the shark just seems otherworldly before that so he brought his dog to the beach and this is another moment in jaws where i think it points directly to that that incident his mm. dog swam out and then he was trying to call him back but his dog never came back so yeah yeah uh and there's that scene in Jaws where it's one of the early scenes where this guy is playing fetch with his dog. He's throwing some wood out into the shore. He can't 
find him and he starts calling for him, you know, like tip it, tip it. And, yeah, uh, you don't see the dog again, but they don't focus on the death of the dog. Rather, um, in the film, the, the Kintner boy who goes out on the raft and then becomes swallowed up by the shark and like an incredibly yeah. like bloody geyser, like shooting out of the water, which, you know, just having that parallel of the, the narrative, uh, sort of, uh, fictionalized shape around the the real life event. Um, I think yeah. they're mostly using it like in a in an attitude to immortalize it, and it's it still comes mm-hmm. across as uh, something nothing short of like a monster attack that you can definitely yeah. use in that lens of of a monster movie. Yeah, and, and I think that um, part of the reason it's so effective is. And, and why it was so popular at the time is because it's, um, you know, a, a monster attack that, I mean, like you're saying, people take for granted at the beach that they're safe. Everybody in the summer, not everybody, I'm sure, but but everybody with beach access, you know, it's, it's a very common thing to, to go out and see the waves and sand. And um, so it's a very relatable situation and people uh, with a really positive connotation and people think that they're safe. Right, mm-hmm. and it was such a um, a surprising film at the time because uh, it, it's a monster attack that can happen to anyone in those conditions, you know, and yeah. you wouldn't expect it. Uh, even if even if it's rare, it's it's like uh, by contrast, say you know, Alien is is a masterful film, and it's very frightening. It's a great sci-fi world that was built. Uh, by Ridley Scott, but none of us like we can relate to it because because it grounds the characters in other ways. But we're not; it doesn't change how we look at an aspect of our own life. Like we're not going to be on the Nostromo tomorrow for work, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, but Jaws, depending on where you live, you could be <laughs> in that position tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, even in so back in in nineteen sixteen just four days after that attack on Charles Van Zandt. By the way, this happens uh, right around the 4th of July. Uh, uh, another swimmer gets attacked, and like he was reportedly a very good swimmer. Uh, his name was Charles Pruder. People saw him disappear in the water, and then a red spot just bubbles up. Then the lifeguards are alarmed, and they go out, and they pull him out, and then he tells them that a shark got him and bit off his legs. They brought him back to the shore... And uh, he died from shock and blood loss because they just didn't have the time to, you know, do anything about it. Because they, by the time they brought him back to shore, he's bleeding out from all of that, um, and he just died right there on the on the shore, like on the beach, on the surf. Mm-hmm. And especially since these events took place around the Fourth of July, really do. I, I don't think it's any coincidence that um, the film also rotates around that holiday. Yep. Uh, not to say that July 4th is, like, the time when sharks attack, but it's just, that's that was the first recorded uh, shark attack in history, like, in U.S. Yeah. history, at least. And uh, another thing that I, I love about the film is a lot of Spielberg's films are... Uh, focused around larger than life situations a lot of he does a lot of science fiction uh, adaptation with uh, obviously um you know jurassic park he does uh, earlier than that et 
Close Encounters. He he deals with sci-fi and, and big picture intellectual science fiction questions quite often. But Jaws is one of the few films of his other than that, that that's a genre movie that deals with political implications. Mm-hmm. Um and and begs political questions in interesting ways. I mean, obviously, like he has has a lot of political dramas, like you know, you have, you have Schindler's List, you have, have Lincoln, you have a, a, the Post. You he visits those things a lot in other types of works, but in terms of um, the genre properties, it's so interesting to me because with the the conflict with the mayor who who wants to pretend like it's business as usual, wants to pretend that they've got the menace under control it it definitely like not to make it about the thing that we're still all dealing with that's scary with with covid but uh those parallels are apt though oh yeah definitely you know and it's it's a it's a movie that kind of deals with that um situation or type of situation uh almost better than any other movie it's really not the only one to do it, but it's, it was definitely one of the more effective. And it, I think it circles around the the topic that a lot of monster movies do um, sort of jump towards, and that's uh, shaping uh, the events of something that just happened into trying to like mitigate mass hysteria, like with Frankenstein. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want an angry mob on our hands. Like that. That's right. his justification for. Um, pretending that everything's okay and just like we're gonna close the beach for only for 24 hours like he thinks that's enough time for a shark to realize that there's not there's no food there and just go away yeah exactly or like uh when they catch the uh the smaller shark and yeah. right away you have rich Dreyfus's character being like uh that's, that's not yeah uh, we have to be sure but this can't the bite radius is different this can't be the same shark but then the mayor's basically just like well it's a shark so we're fine. Yeah. Just like take a picture for the paper, reopen the beaches, we're back in business. Yeah, exactly. It's just like this um uh shocking political malfeasance of, of being like, you know, putting your fingers in ears and be like la 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 la. <laughs> if you don't acknowledge the crisis, it suddenly just magically goes away. I I I think it's really really apt. I really loved it. Yeah. I think that there's something really interesting about um like the political aspects of Jaws, but I think I would even go further and say that like, there's like a kind of cynicism that I think came out of like something like, like Watergate in 72, mm-hmm. um, where, you know, it's, it's like, there's so much distrust of like the government just in general. I think that yes. like, you know, uh, I think that that was something very like counterculture to have, um, yes, the mayor kind of be like the pseudo villain. Although I will say, you know, getting back to like what I think about Jaws having some kind of really human and nuanced moments is mm-hmm. like you know they they really do like let Vaughn kind of have um, a nice kind of um, redemption arc of sorts. Yeah. Um. Yes. I mean, yeah, he's an asshole. But you can also say he was just trying to do what was best for the town. Um, yeah, like he was misguided. But yeah, not like it, like it, malicious. It's not, yeah, like it's not like 
it's not like he's like Mr. Potter in A Wonderful Life where he's so despicable that like you there's no like no way you can redeem him. Um right. He has as part of that redemption arc, he he definitely gets that moment of like emotional clarity where uh he doesn't just get to explain what he did, but he he gets a personal stake to realize like like oh like I have family on that beach like he he really does realize the error of his ways in a way yeah. that a lot of like antagonists don't really yeah get to. so here's where I, w- I would argue something different so like yeah well, Zavon does have that moment of realization but uh, in order for him to get there uh, he manipulates Brody into uh, bending to his will. And he knows, like, Vaughn knows that Brody, as the chief of police, is the one role on, like, Amity Island that um, would have put the stopgap in place from, like, the beaches being closed and taking preventative measures. But to the public, it looks like Brody was just as misguided as Vaughn. And that's what led to Alex Kintner's death. And then you have that moment where the Kintner widow... Uh, she slaps him. Um, yeah, the, the the mother comes over and like she is pointing her finger directly at Brody, and she has no idea the political hierarchy that's happening. Like that's being right, manipulated. Right, right. So in in my mind, that makes Fawn just that much slimier of a person. And his redemption arc yeah. is um is only a redemption arc for himself. And like he's right. whether he did it um, cognizantly or not. He um, he abused his privilege to um, yeah. put himself on the high road, and like Brody sure. suffers because of that. Even though he disagrees with everything that uh, the town, uh, city, town government is trying mm-hmm. to do, um, and I, th- I think he's just enraged by how so many clues were shown to the public, especially in that meeting. Like when they start the meeting. The guy jokes about like if the uh, if the money for killing the shark is going to be made out to check or cash, and like and he's even physically removed from them at the beginning of, of the meeting where he's just leaning against the desk, and then Vaughn has to ask him to come join them sitting at the table, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that speaks volumes about how removed Brody wants to be from these from this like political association. Yeah, and for me, that that makes Vaughn even more of a bad guy. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, um. So interesting little side note about um the actress that plays Mrs. Kittner. Like, mm-hmm. I guess this was like on one of the um, featurettes. I think on the the Blu-ray and the 4K. Like they got her for like a convention, and like she like she kind of just didn't like realize that people would actually like want her autograph, and she was kind of like it was just kind of incredible to her, and like she was saying about how like people would want her um, to slap people. Yeah, no, like that was you know, crazy. like uh, no, I mean yeah. like not just random people, but like like fans would come up and be like slap me yeah and she just thought it was so weird as you would yeah. you know i mean um, i get it but it is weird <laughs> uh well i mean what if that's your thing yeah i mean, I mean i'm not uh we're not kink shaming no if you want you know mrs kittner to slap you in funeral attire i mean who are we to judge is you know 
And also, uh, if if getting slapped was my thing, um, I can't think of anybody I'd want to slap me more. Yes. <laughs> so um, I also read this thing on it was on Reddit. So I don't know how like true this is, um, but uh, there was a story that um, the actress that plays um, Mrs. Kittner, um, Lee Fer- Fernaro. I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. Um, she went to this restaurant and I guess it was like a Jaws themed restaurant and they had something that was called the Alex Kittner sandwich. Oh Jesus. And she was like, <laughs> but she thought it was amusing and she was like, Oh, that's so funny. And, um, she's like, did you know that I like played Mrs. Kittner? I played his, his, um, mother. And the guy's like, yeah, I'm Alex Kittner. <laughs> like nice. he ran the restaurant. <laughs> and that's how they met i guess that's how they reunited i guess i should that's say awesome. um i hope that like the, it's, that story sounds made up but i hope it's true you know what it's true i'm just gonna assert that it's true it's true um but yeah i i i just thought that was like a really cute story um like that was like yes, that's the weirdest great. way to reunite um i mean i guess you could substantiate that so that's probably true um i don't know but um, yeah, I, I it's such an like that's the one thing I like about Jaws is it's something that you can you can enjoy it as a whole and you can enjoy it just picking it apart also. Mm-hmm. Um, like I think that's that's kind of a I mean you can say that pretty much about any Spielberg movie really. Um, yeah, uh, I think it, I mean we've all seen it a a, a boatload of times and. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It still holds up. Sorry, holds Sorry water. folks at home. What, but, but what are you going to do about yeah, it? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but um, one thing I did want to mention is uh, th- I feel there's a, a bit of a loose connection here. And like I don't know if I'm grasping for straws, but um, there's almost like some kind of um, uh, oral tradition surrounding in the film the shark from Jaws as sort of a, um, a talked about fabled sea monster and that being on the tips of sailors tongues talking about like other sea monsters, you know, like you have your giant squid kraken, and everything like Mm -hmm. obviously giant sharks are going to be part of that, but they're not mentioned as much or as like colorfully as they would, you know, like sea nymphs, mermaids, sirens. um, Yeah. Giant squids. So uh, your charbidus. Yeah, uh, but like I definitely think that they're part of the tapestry, and that's one thing that is very much in the background of Jaws, but it's just like very, very faintly there, is um, mm-hmm. that the legend of like the sea monsters that like don't venture out too far uh, unprepared is is the uh, the mo for at least I think it's in the background of of Quint's history especially when he's talking yeah. about the Indianapolis because mm-hmm. of uh, how unprepared they were for that just, like, chilling set of, like, multiple days just being lost at sea, and then, like, no one knew who was going to be devoured next by whatever was lurking in the waters. Like, no no one even got to see what it was, but he thought it was a shark. Yeah. But even then, that's always... Uh, on the edges of like the sea monster legends is 
no one got no one gets a clear look at it. They don't un, they don't fully mm-hmm. understand what it is. Yeah. I would I would even take it a step further and say that like I almost always kind of felt like you know, Quint um almost had like a Moby Dick kind of situation where Definitely. like that was kind of his white whale. I mean, it's it's I'm not obviously making a direct like one to one parallel, but I feel like thematically you could very much kind of make that case where, you know, I think there's something so, I mean, it's so poetic that like he almost like the shark comes to like claim, uh, you know, one of the survivors of the Indianapolis, you know, like it's, yeah. Almost just kind of like living his life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, he doesn't even really get the satisfaction of, like, killing the shark, which I think is such an interesting subversion that we don't really, I think, tend to appreciate. Um, like, but you would think, like, traditionally, like, with his past, you would think he would be the one to take the shark down. And, like, I, I haven't read the novel, but um, uh, depending on how that ended, uh, I'm not sure if it was Benchley's decision or Spielberg's decision to decide not to go with that as like a like a climactic moment for Quint to slay the monster that he was telling everyone that he could or would um yeah where like on paper that might be very triumphant but like in real uh, realistically that would just come off as kind of boring and like well what is Brody yeah. doing what is Hooper doing um and I, I think it has uh, a much more uh, dramatic and emotional weight when it's it's Brody on his last legs. Like there is, like if it doesn't work, that's it. Like he's doomed. Everyone's doomed. And like him delivering like the final blow that um, ends up like killing, destroying the shark is uh, that much more. Um, cathartic for the audiences and for Brody's character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I would say that like, w- one of the things that I, I forgot to mention um, earlier and it, and it, it it's a, a big character building moment is the scene right before the final climax where they're all like swapping stories of different shark attacks and they're mm-hmm. bonding over shared animal trauma almost <laughs> yeah or just um, like scars stuff like that yeah yeah where it really kind of speaks to his, his character's like rich history of like surviving danger and um it's the first time he actually learns that he likes richard dreyfus's character <laughs> and it's a very charming scene and it always every time i'm just like oh <laughs> just warms my heart and then i remember what's coming yeah by the way so um Yep. Thank you, uh, folks at home, for for uh, for participating in our celebration of one of the best summer monster movies of all time, and also a couple dovetails into <laughs> our strong opinions on M Night Shyamalan's work. Because uh, you know why I think Spielberg, I think M Night Shyamalan. Yeah. So apparently, it, it, this is the world's only Steven Spielberg Jaws M Night Shyamalan. A deep blue sea podcast in the world. <laughs> I, I would watch in that show. Very specific. Deep blue sea. 
<laughs> oh my god, yes. <laughs> like the twist is that his hat is like a shark's fin. Yeah. That will be a or all of our or all of our hats were like shark fins. <laughs> dun dun dun. It's the only ki- in this world you find out that there's only one kind of hat in existence. <laughs> and it's shark fin. <laughs> But uh, yeah, thank you for for joining us. Uh, it's it definitely Jaws still, despite being mid nineteen seventies film, really holds up in a number of ways. And and honestly, we're we're so pleased that you could join us. So um, and uh, yeah, thank you, Mike and Andre, for coming on. Um, as always, tell the folks at home where they can find you. Uh, so I am on Twitter at StrangeCinema65. Um, you can find my book, The Ultimate Guide to Strange Cinema, on Amazon. Fantastic. Yeah. Andre? Uh, I'm on Twitter at FritzMerrillH. That's uh, F-R-I-T-Z-M-E-R-R-I-L-L-H. I'm thinking about changing that at some point, but for now, that's that's where I am. Uh, also on Letterboxd, if you want to read every single little thing I have to say about movies, um, you can find me there as Hamburger Harry. Love it. Thank you so much, and thank you both for being on the show uh, today for this episode. And then, folks at home, you can uh, find me at Real Jeff Ewing on Twitter, uh, where I'm most active, or find me here, which you know you already did. But uh, stay tuned uh, and join us next time. Jaws rules. Yes! But not jaw rules jaws rules <laughs> <laughs> jaws rules and deep blue sea drools um no i like that movie no it's fun yeah. it's fun no. that line is stupid <laughs> it's a fun movie jaws rules really jaw know. rule drools there you go it's true once more i'd like to extend a special thanks to our guests this episode and to all of you out there listening from the dawn of record human civilization we've been fascinated by monsters and the monstrous They've inhabited our dreams and nightmares. They've been our protectors and our villains. They've symbolized our fears and vices, our hopes and potential. Fears of creatures and the night that nourishes them were key inspirations and fuel for the rise of human civilization. The need to get out of the shadows, behind the walls, and into the light. In many ways, understanding our monsters is an important part of understanding our world and ourselves. So thank you for taking this journey with us, we humanoids from the deep dive. (laughs) 